0: Filmmaker Commentary episode 27. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome everybody. My name is Reginald Titus Jr. I'm here with KCG Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. Okay. So, The Fly <laughs> 1986, The Fly. Yes. That's what we're going to be talking about today if y'all have not um I heard a filmmaker commentary before. This podcast is dedicated to filmmakers, producers of movies. We listen to Blu-rays and DVDs. We listen to those commentaries, so you don't have to. We take gene the gems out of that. We present it in a way so you it'll help you with your films. And we talk spoilers. So just a heads up. Yes. There, there will, will be there'll spoilers. There'll be plenty of spoilers. This this go around for sure. Back to the fly, nineteen eighty six. Let me read the synopsis real quick. <clears throat> When scientist Seth Brundle completes his teleportation device, he decides to test its abilities on himself. Unbeknownst to him, a housefly slips in during the process, leading to a merger of man and insect. Initially, Brundle appears to have undergone a successful teleportation, but the fly cells begin to take over his body. As he becomes increasingly fly-like, Brundle's girlfriend is horrified as the person she once loved deteriorates into a monster. The fly that's quite accurate yes I agree I agree <laughs> so this film was directed by David Cronenberg um, it won an Academy Award for best makeup budget was about I pulled up 9 to 15 million mm-hmm. and the box office around 60 million domestic and international yeah that comes about 60 mil usually I try to break it down but um, when I was pulling up the numbers today the server was down
1: really so I got 40 million US and then 20 million worldwide so yeah 60 okay. That's a win. Yes, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a that's a nice one, especially for it's. I guess it is big budget, but it s-
0: some of the early looks of it feel indie yeah. at times. This is essentially a monster in the house movie. And very few. If you go like to IMDb's, on like, like six or seven people, they have <laughs> you know just kind of listed like as main like cast people, and I'm just like, yeah, this is independent. It feel it feels that way. What did you? How did you watch the film? when's the first time you seen it mm. how did you watch it this time so I first saw the fly as a child
1: <laughs> as an innocent child <laughs> um no I, I remember the first time seeing the film I watched it with my parents my my sister and I I was man um, we rented we we watched maybe on HBO hmm it came out in 86 so I maybe saw it in 87 or 88 you know, our whole family was gathered around, and we watched it. And, and yeah, I remember like just being like just like shocked, you know, shocked. Like <laughs> thought it was cool because I I was into I was into monsters and horror. I mentioned this before. I would check out the books from the library. And, mm-hmm. Um, I used to check out the old Universal horror films, and I and I remember seeing the old black and white images of the original Fly with Vincent Price. And, mm-hmm. The huge head and the small right. claw. Uh, this year's sure heck wasn't that. <laughs> this year's sure heck wasn't that. But, but yeah, I, I remember. I remember after seeing the film, going up uh, upstairs. We lived we lived in a two story home, and I remember you know whenever I see something scary, and then having to make the walk up upstairs because it was always dark. And I think the light switches at the top, oh. and uh, and just like scared like. Yeah, I, I may have had a nightmare after the fact. But yeah, I remember I was, I was uh yeah, a couple of days, a couple of nights there. I was scared, had a couple, maybe a couple of nightmares. But yeah, but this time around, I, I, I got reintroduced to The Fly maybe about four years ago. I saw okay. it on Netflix. And I was really excited. I was like, oh, because I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it in a long time, maybe mm-hmm. maybe since my childhood. Right. But a lot of it still stuck with me. And just watching it, it all just came back. And I was like, man. But I had a new appreciation for it. Yeah. You know, seeing the, the dialogue, the performances... When I found it on Blu-ray about a year ago, I saw all the features. I said, oh, "I've got to get this." So I scooped it up and, and watched it then. And then watching it again a couple of days ago, I, I don't. I don't mind. It's it's shorter. It's 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 not a really long film. I don't feel it's long, and it seems to, it seems to run pretty quick. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I, I appreciate enjoy, that. Yeah, I enjoy the pacing of it.
0: How about you? Same here. I was a child when I seen it, um, but it probably would have been closer to like maybe eighty nine, ninety like reruns on the like the little box the cable box and we used to just rerun movies all the time i used to go uh me and my sister used to go to our grandparents house in san angelo texas and during the summer and just watch movies because like you know we didn't have like the cable box at the house but going over there they had the cable box free cable um, and I think my granddad he had like some kind of deal worked out where you could just watch movies like free almost yeah the scrambler <laughs> yeah the scrambler he had something going on there so like we was able to watch all kinds of movies so I, that that's the only time I seen it when I was <laughs> but this movie is so like it in, it's embedded in your brain once you watch it like yeah. those certain certain scenes just kind of stick with you forever and it's like ah, one's enough I'm scarred <laughs> yeah <laughs> for real <laughs> And just kind of being like gross out bad, but the, the scenes I remember were like the, the arm break. Yeah, man. <laughs> that was perfect. So well done. That's what I remember. And then, uh, of course, like the throwing up stuff. I forgot the guy threw up on, you know, the ex boyfriend. Oh, I didn't, I didn't forget that. <laughs> I didn't forget that. <laughs> so, that you know, and I'm talking about just going back from like, you know, like I was like nine, ten or so, however old I was when I watched this. Um, and having those images still in my brain, like I still remember, I remember him being on like you know on the ceiling and stuff like that. Those are the scenes I remember: the arm break, being on the ceiling, and throwing up. That's it. It's mm. all I remember. And um, watching this again, I just watched it all the way through, and it looks good. Like, right? <laughs> aesthetically, it's it's pretty darn good. It's better than some of the stuff that's out now. Yeah. From a lighting perspective. Yeah. It it I think I think it holds up. Even uh, honestly.
1: The practical effects, yeah, I think hold up. Yeah, I think they, I think they hold up pretty. Uh, I think they hold up pretty well. I mean, you know, the other guys I remember suit and it's not
0: CGI, but uh, man, they're uh, it's effective. It, mm-hmm. It's effective because because of the acting ability. Oh, Jeff and, Goldblum, man, and he just like looks like an insect. So <laughs> it's just like <laughs> his movements and just uh, yeah. But we'll get more. more yeah, we'll that. get more into that. So, yeah, so, uh, revisiting this film, so I watched it, and then, um, and then after watching it, the next, I felt weird after watching it, kind of sitting, because it, it was like late at night, I watched it, I was like, that's a pretty sad film. Yeah, right, <laughs> it, it does, it's,
1: it's a love story, mm-hmm. at, at, at its core, it is, it is a love story, and, and the way it, it ends, it's, it's very much so, it's, it's tragic, Yeah, and you're like, Oh man, because at the beginning the guy is so likable. He's he's like, we're like, ah the nerd gets the you know, he gets the girl. Yeah. Good for you, nerd. Right. Good for you. <laughs> and she seems cool. It's like, okay, this is the emerging love story. And the and the ex boyfriend is a creep. You know, like, yeah. oh, this tool. But in the end, the nerd becomes the monster and the creep becomes a, a hero. He's he saves her. Yeah. You're like, well, well, this
0: oh man, this ain't right. It's just <laughs> yeah, it it's a sad ending. It, it is. is a tra- it's a tragic ending. So yeah, so watch that. I was like, this is. It sat with me for a little while. Like, this is this is terrible. <laughs> it's gross. It's terrible. Everything. And then the, the day after that, then I went and listened to the commentary, watched the documentaries, and everything. It Just kind of dove into that world for a little while.
1: I appreciate that when a film can sit with you you know that you can't like when you, you know, sometimes you watch and you instantly like okay I'm on to the next thing but I like I like when something sits with you a bit whether right. it makes you uncomfortable or makes you contemplate I, I, to me that's effective I, I, I want I want a little bit of that from from certain films not every film but certain films and I, I like when I'm surprised at times mm-hmm. and something you can kind of assume will be simple oh this is just sci-fi or just horror and you, and you see no those are just kind of the tropings around it, it, it it's maybe a little bit Confined because of the the genre, but it's I mean it could be a play almost, and Cronenberg mentions that it could mm-hmm. be a play because there's really only three characters.
0: Yeah, and just the set pieces and how they were shooting it. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene when he's cutting the steak and having her test it, like the way that the camera's moving, it's like a wide angle, and it's just kind of just following them along. Every mm-hmm. now and then they'll chop into a close up just to probably cut around the continuity or whatever, but for the most part, it stayed in that wide angle. Yeah, and if you were doing a
1: play, you, you really only need three. Really only need three sets. You need his apartment slash lab. You need her apartment. You need like the the office space where she and uh, st- what's the guy's name? Her ex boyfriend.
0: Yes, Stathis. Oh, that was his name in the film. Mm-hmm. Stathis. Yikes! What a douchey name. Sorry. <laughs>
1: so. Sorry if you have that name. No, yeah, sorry. It, 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 I'm just referring to the character directly. <laughs> I don't know you personally. I'm sure you're nice. <laughs> <laughs> to all the other states
0: out there. Right. <laughs> we are going to jump into a news break. All right, so... So James Gunn has come under fire for some of his remarks he made on Twitter. Have you heard about this? Absolutely. What are your thoughts? Um,
1: he didn't just come under fire, he was fired. He was fired by Disney. Mhm. Fired from the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise which cinematically he built, he created. It's it's his 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 storytelling, his music selections, his character development. I mean, he is he was Integral to Guardians, yeah. which is a cash cow for the Marvel Studios and for Disney. I went through and, and looked at some of the comments that he had had made, and these and these were from years back. I'd be lying if I didn't say it, it was complicated, and I don't have mixed feelings about it. Number one, I wholeheartedly believe that a person can change, and I believe that I believe that people make mistakes. <laughs> people make mistakes. I mean, right. I think we all believe that people people make mistakes and and do and say True. stupid things. We've all done and said stupid things that we wish we could take back. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that we wish and hope weren't on some kind of permanent record. Uh, unfortunately, when Gunn made these comments back in, I want to say it was like what '09 or something somewhere it really around there. A while well back, yeah. Um, but the fact that they're on Twitter and on record—that's troublesome. And he said he was trying to be a provoca- provocateur, then he was a different person. And he was angrier then, and clearly more cynical. And you know, seeing, seeing, and hearing things about Gunn now, like I, I remember hearing a, a, a thing on the news where when he would go to cons, like he would, even if he had been shooting for a while, he would make a point. Even if he could be home with his family, he would make a point to go to these conventions to see and greet people because he was so grateful for their support of uh, of the Guardians franchise, and he knew the impact that it had oh, on people. Yeah. And so that's why I think some of these actors. And people came came to his side like Dave Batista he was he was very vocal and said, you know, hey, James' was one of the most supportive and so and so you know and, and nice and caring people that I know. And Dave is going by the James gun that he knows now, right. And so again, I believe people can change uh, and, and gun the way he handled the situation, I thought was very classy. He said, you know, he, he apologized for what he did. He, he wishes he could take it back. He he regrets. He regrets, it, and I, I believe he's being sincere. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he understands Disney's position in having to, to to let him go. And I know there's been loads of, you know, like, I don't know, so many hundred thousand people that have signed a petition to, to bring him back on the project. Wow. I don't think Disney's going to move on this. Well, I think it's right. I wish there were were a way where Disney maybe could have done like some NFL teams do, where you know you you find somebody or Mm -hmm. you uh, you take some kind of disciplinary action. I think that would have been appropriate. I don't I don't think that he should have been. I don't think that he needed to be booted off the franchise. I think they could have found a way to discipline him Mm -hmm. to show disapproval of his prior actions. But then you you have to contrast that almost immediately with the Roseanne situation, right? With her being fired, and of course she's coming out and, and, and she's pissed about people supporting James Gunn. Well, she has a yeah, history of she
0: history, has a history of that. James right? Gunn's a completely different individual. Yeah. It's his track record's a little different. Exactly. I was introduced to James Gunn uh, through like the Trauma. Um, if y'all familiar with Trauma Studios, based out of New York, under Lloyd Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman, I believe, made a cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. It was like a prisoner. He's like oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but Lloyd uh, uh, Kaufman is like a, a stand lead to like B movies. Oh yeah. And gave James Gunn like his first like gig as a writer for Trauma Studios. And so Lloyd uh, Kaufman did a whole series called Make Make Your Own Damn Movie. And I introduced to James Gunn because he was like writing for I believe it was Scooby Doo, the cartoon. The movie that huh. had came out, I think okay. he was I think he was working on that. And so it was like a whole home video just bringing you into James Gunn. He was like, hey, yeah, uh, this is how you write. this He was just giving a lot of great advice. You know, and this is a while ago. This is a long time ago. It seemed like even then uh, he came off as like a genuine person that was just um, a fan of the craft and a fan, a movie fan and things like that. Family man, all that stuff. So overall vibes kind of seem into he. You're coming from trauma studios if if y'all don't know trauma studios like has like the crudest the crudest jokes uh sensibilities is just it's terrible right and that's what that's the school that he comes from so like some of the stuff he said is like not even surprising to me
1: so you saying that kind of also brings up a point of, of the way that twitter has changed
0: mm-hmm.
1: early iteration of twitter and somebody on, on uh, um i think mark ellis said this on Movie Talk that twitter early on in the in those you know, the the 2008s, 2009s, early on, it was a place where people tested out material. Comedians would use uh, it to test out jokes to see if they would land, to see, you know, how people would react to certain things. Whereas now, in 2018, you know, people use Twitter for, you know, political and comments and social statements and all right. kinds of things. And so to view something in 08 or 09 through a 2018 lens on Twitter... Is may not exactly be apples and oranges. Again, not to say you're not responsible for the things that you write, because I mean you you are, and you put it out in public. So yeah, but yeah, it's a sticky situation, and I and I, I I feel I do feel I feel bad for James Gunn. I, his comments let I me mean, because his comments were were terrible. Right. I, I'm not defending his comments. Neither is he. But I, again, I wish there had been another another way, another avenue. But again, because of the recent Roseanne thing, I think that added extra pressure. Yeah,
0: we're in an environment now where you have to be ultra-PC for your old self. And so it's yeah. it's super weird. But I remember back in college, like uh, the college I went to, they said, be careful what you put online because it's there. It's there forever for anybody to see. They said that repeatedly while we were trying to get jobs coming out mm-hmm. of graduation. And this is like an example of that. It's like, hey, it doesn't matter. You said it, you said it. It is what it is. Well, even people going back and, and being able to
1: find things that were deleted that's a whole next level of hater see yeah that's I, like a I super agree. hater i agree <laughs> oh man did you see uh today that uh, ryan johnson deleted some yeah. like 2000 i can like, a load of, a boatload
0: of tweets there's gonna be an effect that this ripple effect is going to go down because i thought about i was like you know what Maybe we shouldn't share everything, you know, maybe like this is an environment where like things should be shut down. I already thought that. I mean, (laughs) I'll only try to post positive,
1: impactful things. Mm -hmm. That's just me personally. I'm not I'm not going to if I had a bad day, I'm not posting about it. If I'm I'm pissed at somebody, I'm not going to post that. Some people use their social media as just their outlet for any emotion that they're feeling.
0: Yeah. Nope nope not for me nope not today not today so yeah man i think uh directors i think that sends a shockwave. and then like uh roseanne she was responsible for a lot of stuff and you know you put your hard work into this stuff and you're putting it in front of people and then you your work itself is being scrutinized now you as a person is being scrutinized like man i can't have any we can't i can't have i can't put something out there we disagree on didn't do anything illegal this is you know we're operating on the same thing but uh, you're hear to a different standard when you're a public figure so I think uh, people probably should just act accordingly and just start shutting things down and just do the work yeah and it becomes hard if you work especially
1: in the entertainment field you work so hard to get there there are so few places there and even though now we have these new windows that are opening up and able to create your own work if you want to be in a studio system and you want to play with some of the big dogs again like Disney who again this Fox merger, I believe, is going to go down, and that just makes less places to go to get big, big gigs. Oh yeah, for sure. You, you, you're going to want to make sure your nose is clean and that you, your past is decent, because um, yeah, stuff it, it's it's going down. So yeah, it's 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 an unfortunate thing. It's a loss for the franchise and for the fans. Uh, one of my buddies was telling me, "Oh, I'm not going to get my my Guardians trilogy because he loves the Guardians films," and uh, and again, they're so they're so. James Gunn DNA. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't see anybody else doing it. Somebody, I heard rumors that maybe Tycho Waititi might be Oop. jumping in. He's going to direct Thor Ragnarok, which I'm okay with that. I could see that because I liked his humor in mm-hmm. that one, and he won't be alone. Disney is a system. Marvel Studios is a system, man. True. You just got to, yeah, he won't be alone. And there's enough, and this is the third iteration. So there's enough, I believe, history established with Guardians. Yeah, to, the characters to, to the already
0: developed and yeah. the, the actors already know the voices and pretty we, well.
1: And we saw them carry over into Infinity War. And we saw them being used by the Russo brothers. Mm-hmm. So I have confidence in Marvel Studios as a whole that they're still going to put out a great product. And, yeah. So. Are, they due, are they due for another movie? Yeah, Gunn Gun was already writing the script. for guardians 3 he maybe had already finished it they were in pre-production on guardians 3 oh that sucks
0: yeah that sucks well moving right along trailers did you see the aquaman trailer yes (laughs) yes i did (laughs)
1: what what are your thoughts i'm excited about it i'm excited about aquaman as as a whole you know even sitting and thinking about it now it's not one of those things where i had to watch Mm -hmm. you know five ten times uh in in a row um yeah, I, I think I watched it once, watched it twice, and I was like, okay. I'm at this point where with some of the the DC, I think they call it the DC Universe now, with their films that, um, again, I want, I, I want it to do well. I'm excited to see it, but I wasn't overwhelmed um, overwhelmed by it. They're doing a lot of new things. Like James Wan is a great director. Jason Momoa has embraced the role as Aquaman. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
0: What about you? I wasn't excited. I wasn't moved. Mm. Uh, I saw it, and I was like, what a waste of money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. But, um, you know, I'm not... (laughs) How do you really feel, Reginald?
1: (laughs) I will tell you the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Ask me questions. I tell you no lie.
0: There you go. Uh. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I just couldn't believe it was real because the thing is, in my brain, when I think Aquaman, I think about uh, Vincent Chase from Entourage. Remember he was Aquaman? I do. And that's so funny. That's like the for, like, for a lot of people, that
1: pops up for a lot of people. <laughs> Aquaman's had a bad rep. Yeah. He's had a bad rep the past, like, 15. No, longer than that. He's had a bad rep. Ever since Super Friends, he's had a bad rep. The way they portrayed him there, mm-hmm. that branding has stuck. The guy who talks to fish. And it made, some, makes him, made him look week and, and family guy has gotten in on the joke they've got some fun and, oh yeah oh you put in family guy aquaman you'll find some funny stuff some funny funny stuff but yeah but they but in other iterations like in the justice league uh cartoon they they use the aquaman with the long hair and and oh he was a he was a beast in that one you're right. like okay aquaman and in the, in the comics they've been working at revamping him and so them also them casting momoa uh uh, you know someone of Samoan descent as Aquaman makes a lot of sense I'm like these are, these are people who are who are close to in in the water and I'm like
0: oh yeah so we'll see so you were not impressed no um, especially with the last film the Batman had, you had everything in there you had Wonder Woman you had Flash you oh had Justice Bat- League yeah and that was okay Mm-hmm. But, you know, they kind of failed in the CGI department and making oh, the villain man. convincing. So they kind of ruined it for me. Yeah, for um, a lot of people it did. But I did enjoy, like, The Flash. Um, That's, like, one of my favorite characters. I enjoyed The Flash. I enjoyed seeing Wonder Woman again. Mm-hmm. Her movie was off the chain. Seeing Superman, you know, that sequence, you know, oh, where he... That was my favorite part of the film. Yeah. <laughs> just the power of yeah. Superman. I'm like, dude. That, that one was pretty cool to see that. But there were just certain sequences that were good. But, like, as a film... Not so much, and and it had a whole mess of controversy around it. You know, two two directors, and that's right. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, um, that's always trouble. Anytime that's happening, trouble. Ain't that the same thing with the solo movie, the Star Wars? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, Lord Miller, and then uh, Ron Howard stepped in to to finish it off. Yeah. Anytime that's
0: going on, it's troubles.
1: First Ant Man still worked out though because you had Wright. Uh, on it, um, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Yeah, really? yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was, he was, he was re- on it, working on it. But by the time it came around for him to take it further, his vision differed with Marvel Studios because they had been, they were developing their universe at that point, and there were certain okay. things that had to be in it. And so that's that's where uh, Peyton Reed stepped in, and uh, and people thought, oh, it's not going to work. But that worked fine, and of course, he did the sequel as well. But that's one of the few instances where it, it does work out.
0: And maybe because they their system is so they got it together and they can just kind of like here you go just kind of place your director in place your writer with the other people then they they, they kind of got your back i guess you know
1: uh, yeah they do even though they they're, they they're really director friendly cuz each director kind of really does get to bring their own vision when you mm-hmm. see how many actually are involved in actually writing the scripts um i mean just about just about i mean a good chunk of them uh, i think avengers is kind of the exception where where the directors are don't really write it. Like the Russo's partner with, uh, I can't think of the name of the two writers on Avengers and I, I apologize because you guys do a fantastic job. I know Whedon obviously he wrote a lot of the first Avengers and, and the second one, but you know, infinity war, there were two other writers on there uh, who also think worked on cap civil war with the Russo. So they, they just got a good working relationship with those guys, but you know, James Gunn, Peyton Reed, um, Ryan Kugler, you know they, right. they, they put time
0: put time in writing at least co-writing their, their scripts so yeah so I don't know what to say about Aquaman I I will buy a ticket how about that I will mm-hmm. I will buy a ticket if I'm wrong I'll be like hey I was wrong fair enough but um but the tra- just judging from the trailer is just too much now it's too much you know CGI too much you know I just I don't know and that's well, it, well Aquaman has an uphill battle it's all you know I
1: mean, good was underwater so they are having to create effects and do things that hadn't really maybe been done before. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out because you got to worry about hair moving and just I mean just extra levels of of detail um, because of that. So we'll see. Like I said, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my excitement is, is somewhat tempered because again I, I haven't been raving about it and I haven't gone back and watched the trailer again since it, it debuted at the con at San Diego
0: Comic Con another trailer that i am excited about glass yes i was like what and then on top of that glass is an m night Shyamalan movie uh with that guy simula jackson i didn't know that split was a part of this universe did you see split i did not oh so that was the big that was
1: the big okay spoiler alert yes indeed. spoiler alert okay so when split came out uh in the i think it came out october maybe something like that maybe mm-hmm. october of last year at the end of the film, almost like a post credit scene. You know, there's a scene in a diner and, and people are talking about this guy who has who has escaped and, and, and is, you know, right wrecked, wrecked and wreaked some havoc in the in the city. And the camera pans out to a guy who's getting coffee and then it pans up and you see Bruce Willis. And he's got a little name tag on, like he's going to a security job. Everybody's like, "Oh, <laughs> what?" <laughs> and yeah, that was the that was one of the best kept secrets to that. That he just in that moment just created, you know, the unbreakable
0: universe, if you will. I like it. Yeah, I man. had no idea. So now I have some ideas on what to watch for the next film. Ah, for, unbreakable, you- either Unbreakable or Split. Okay, I own Unbreakable.
1: I got it in my library. That's a long movie. It, 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 <laughs> man, it's a long movie. Split, Split is uh, a decent, decent is a decent length as well. But man, McAvoy's performance in that film incredible, absolutely incredible. Then we go because Split means you know, split personality. Right. You saw it from the trailer, and he's
0: oh, he's yeah, a tour de tra- force. I went back and saw the trailer for Split. I was like guess i gotta go back and um, really dive into this that dude is acting i man. know that's fun for those uh actors to do i know they have a blast when they get to do all those characters and flex, flex their muscles and yeah he's
1: the dude he's oh man this is the physicality of how he, he just i mean he changes his physicality with each each person that he's playing Where he's playing the you know the woman and he's oh yeah he's
0: believable now that's a trailer i'm excited about <laughs> <laughs> It's a whopper, ain't it? And, yeah, man, it's about storytelling. So it's cool to see uh, M. Night Shyamalan kind of come back around, you know, because Mm -hmm. he was in movie jail for quite some time, man. Yeah. uh, Yeah, people were, like, staying away from this guy. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, that was was, was a rough go. But kudos to him for just putting his head down. Yep. And continue to work. Yeah. Just continue to work. Continue to work on your craft. Continue to crank it out. Be humble, you know? I think that's important. Be humble, get along with people people who, who like you, but also produce quality
0: work. Mm-hmm. Moving right along, um, you had a special announcement.
1: Yes, so the creative community, the nerd community, the comic book community, the film community, the film punditry community lost someone very, very special this this weekend, a man by the name of John... Schnapp. He was born May 16th, 1967, and he passed away July 19th, 2018, leaving behind his, his fiancee, Holly Payne, his, his, his fiancee and partner in life, but also in, in film. He is the director of the documentary, The Death of Superman Lives What Happened. Uh, he was a, a frequent host on the Collider. On not only on movie talk, but he also actually hosted uh, Collider Heroes. And John was so knowledgeable about—I mean, anything you wanted to know about about the comic book industry, about about films, not just new films, but even like old films. He could he could he could just wax poetic on those things. He he was a metalhead, and he and he was an artist himself. That's the other thing that made John so special. He was an artist himself, graduate of the Art Institute of Chicago. Uh, he worked on things in the in the, the 90s like Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, uh, Aqua Teen, um, Hunger Force. Worked on and, cre- and helped, helped create Metalocalypse, was, which was a, a pretty popular show on Adult Swim. He was loved by so many people. So if you if you are unfamiliar with John Schnapp, I, I encourage you to uh, well, definitely check out his documentary. Uh, he put a lot of his time and effort, and crowdsourced that that film. But again, you can go to Collider and you can see some of the tributes to him, and we just see the raw emotion of of of, of people uh, and their love for for Schnep. It was his it was his personality, it was his zeal for life, it was his ability to encourage people, and and just he he's had an impact on 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 me more so than I realized. Uh, mm-hmm. Reginald, I found myself this weekend, I mean, literally, like, you know, tearing up for someone that I never met in person. But for, like, the past five years, I've been listening to things that he's been on. He helped me expand my my interest. And, and if he recommended a, a film or something like that, I was down to check it out. If he recommended a comic book... Um, I was down to check it out based on his suggestions. I respected his wow. opinion so much. That's what's up? Yeah, he turned me on to several several new series and novels and and made me look looking more of Alan Moore's stuff and and check out graphic novels like Nemesis and Irredeemable. He he will be sorely missed. Uh, guys like Kevin Smith Kevin Smith you know specifically spoke about John at, at the Comic Con because he mm-hmm. passed away again during the San Diego Comic Con like right. he was in the hospital he'd had a, a massive heart attack and um, just lost all brain function and it's just, just a just a, a loss so uh, thank you for allowing me to take the time just to, to mention uh, John if you are familiar with John's work and if in some way you want to uh, help out with like he's got you know massive medical bills that that his fiancee will be taking care of you can go to their go fund me page and uh, contribute to that but yeah uh, just to uh, you know one thing that john used to always do on his show heroes whenever somebody prolific in music or just in the creative space would pass away he would offer up a moment of silence so i just want to offer up a, a moment of silence for uh the late great john schnapp
0: All right. All right, man. Um, That was very honorable. Um, Thank you. Yes, sir. So that's the end of our news break, and we're going to dive right back into the show. So, The Fly from 1986. If you're just now tuning in, this is Filmmaker Commentary, and we're talking about The Fly from 1986, directed by David Cronenberg. this is probably one of the grossest films I've ever seen. Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> From un- unapologetically. It's, for example, fingernails that peel off and white juice shoots out into the mirror. Was that a dog that was inside out? That uh, when he went through, or was it a monkey? Or that was the baboon. That was that. It was that inside was, out. The yeah, baboon. That was the, that was the first baboon. <laughs> so a baboon goes into the thing and it's inside out. The vomiting in order to eat. This is like so many gross things in this film that it's science, Reginald. It's, <laughs> it's science. science.
1: <laughs> what do you want?
0: It's science. Oh man! So I, I just didn't realize like how gross this was until I revisited
1: it. It's funny you, you mentioned that because in the commentary, you know, David Cronenberg talks about he had forgotten how uh, how disturbing the film was, and apparently he hadn't watched it in in in, in, in since the eighties, and this right. this takes place. Uh, I think maybe in the early, two, this commentary seems to take place maybe early 2000s. Because he oh. talks about
0: there being like a 20-year period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so eighty six, 2006, yeah. Yeah,
1: probably 2006 mm-hmm. w- when he records this commentary. And he says often he has times disconnecting himself from his previous works. Often when he sees them, it's like going through a documentary again. And he's not really connected to it. He said, but this, while he still had that documentary experience, still the film was able to affect him. And he said he was actually quite shaken. Afterwards, he just forgot how, how dark it was. And he's made some. I mean, Cronenberg film, you know, you're going to have some some crazy stuff going down. Right. But with this one. Yeah, man. And again, these effects are are so they're gross, but they're so well done. I mean, man, they're so well done, and there's so many of them. There, I don't know if you got a chance to see that deleted scene that I that I mentioned to you. Oh, I forgot to look at
0: it. Oh, oh, it's all right. I got the Blu-ray. Yes. (laughs) Oh, dude, Mm, I got to go back in. But in the document, in the documentary, I think they did show like a scene of him like holding holding down.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. Well, there's so there's a whole extra scene Uh where. It, it, it kind of it plays into right before he finds her and brings her back to the to the to the lab with you know the pregnant version of, 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 of Ronnie and he has that third teleportation pod set up. Mm-hmm. So there's a scene in between where after she's come to see him the last time and before he goes and gets her where he has uh, he has a he has that, that ba- his baboon and he has a cat and he puts them both in pod one and pod two. And he puts in a, a sequence on the computer, and he fuses them together mm. into the into that new third pod. Whoa. And what comes out is this crazy hybrid baboon cat that jumps at him, and he's like ah, and it scratches him, and ah, and he ends up throwing it throwing it down and <laughs> in, into this mess, and and eventually he ends up tra- having to, to beat it to death with a with a pipe. <laughs> It looks a little cheesy. Uh, that 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 it looks that a little cheesy. cheesy. Yeah, yes. but it's it's fully produced though. Like it oh. was fully shot and produced and everything. But just the thing, kind of it looks a little almost too. It looks comedic, <laughs> like to a degree.
0: <laughs> like uh. <laughs> the first baboon that went through when it was shaking, it was kind of like suspect. It's like a few frames, a little too much because the way it was shaking inside of it. Yeah, that yeah. is gross. Yeah, yeah. Some, But it makes sense though, if if. if that scene because he mentions later on like fusing them together yeah so it makes sense that scene where he's kind of referred we at least see it visually yeah yeah it does
1: and then even and there's there's a whole thing that they're playing up throughout the whole film not th- when he starts to, to, to change where it, there's something going on with his side mm-hmm. um and the more i watch it the more the more i, I see that so like when he has that um, Tani or whatever that girl's name is that he takes back to his place. Oh yeah. In the next the next day or morning whatever he's he's sitting on the bed and he's got one hand on his temple and he has one hand on his side. He's kind of yeah. like it's your turn now. It's your turn to go through. And so but he's touching his side yeah. and then later on when he's climbing on the ceiling he's like oh you see that what is that there I don't know you know and he's, right. he's referring to his side again. So then after that scene with the baboon cat. He goes out onto his his ceiling or on onto That's the like roof. The worst animal ever, a baboon cat.
0: Yeah, it's nasty.
1: It's nasty. Um, but he's on the ceiling and and he can tell he's he's beginning to lose his mind. He's talking so he's going like, no 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 because he's trying to like prevent himself from going into the city because he knows he's gonna hurt some people. Right. And as he's standing up there, he kind of begins to writhe in pain and he 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 falls down the side of the building and, and lands on top of a dumpster and while he's writhing all of a sudden his, his side starts to pulsate like something's pushing through and it's just this little like small little hook claw hand thing that comes out of, of his side Yikes. and it's all it's, it's just gooey and gross and he ends up tearing it off and, and then gnawing it off to get it off just nasty <laughs> nasty yeah. but yeah so they, they left it out but I'm it's I'm glad they did that they yeah. did
0: not put that it's gross enough like yeah. it
1: That yeah that, that, that did push it and they talked about wanting to have that balance where it does disturb but doesn't go too far and those those two scenes because the, they're back-to-back consecutive are a bit too much yeah they're, i
0: think people would be like i'm done
1: i'm out i'm yeah. out there was also supposed to be another scene with like a he where he confronts a bag lady in the streets and ends up like like melting her face off with his <laughs> fly spit acid stuff so yeah it's good that those things were left out <laughs>
0: <laughs> Old ladies in the street—that's yeah. terrible. Yeah, some bag lady that he, he ends up attacking and <laughs> devouring her face. So some of the themes in this film, uh, we have transformation. We have a little bit of seduction, got isolation, the feeling of like helplessness, like when somebody is sick, a loved one, you can't do anything for them. You know, they kind of um, in the documentary. I mean, in the uh, commentary, talks a little bit about. How this can be like a disease, or it can kind of be cancer. How you can't, you can't really help that person. You can try to be there for them, but you can't like kind of take it away. So like having that feeling of helplessness. Mm-hmm. Also like um, the discovery, you know, that's a thing, Like you know, the discovery of I can transport myself. I can I can do these different things. And and dealing with mortality.
1: Yes, he he specifically mentioned uh, those things, and he and he also talked about in the commentary that since it had been so many years. Since he had created the film, and cronenbergs he's, he's, he's an older guy. Probably when he did the commentary, uh, if he did it in 06, he, may, he was probably in his 60s. I think, I think he's like in his 70s or so wow. now. It's been a while. Um, and so he would have definitely thought about, uh, thought about those things. And he says it, it, had, it had even more of an effect. Yeah, because he's 75 now. So he said he's began to experience some of those things in, in in terms of getting older, and so the film I think it's maybe one of the reasons why it shook him when he revisited it. But wow. some people even thought at the time that it it may had had been some kind of commentary on on AIDS, uh, and and some of those effects and not being makes sense
0: because the eighties yeah mm-hmm. that was a big deal
1: yeah. But he said you know it it, it didn't that wasn't his intent. Um, it just mainly it was dealing with like you said. Um, Disease, deterioration, and ultimately, uh, you know, more
0: mortality. The overall commentary, you know, he, he pulls uh, David Fincher, he just comes in and just starts talking. Yeah, the fly is. Uh, but um, he. He's he, very clinical. Yeah. His, he just comes right in and starts going right to it. But. The overall commentary—it seems like refreshing, like for him to come back and watch it again. And I like the fact that he did timestamp it and be like, "Hey, it's been like twenty years have gone past." So, mm-hmm. but he's probably one of those directors that's keeping notes and things like that. So he's just recalling all this stuff uh, very easily.
1: Yeah, and I think he is. He talks about he likes to work with. He likes to shoot in Toronto. Quite a few of his Mm -hmm. films have been shot in the same place. And he says that now for him, when he's in Toronto or going around Toronto, you know, most places look like just old sets. Yeah. You know, oh, I shot this there. I shot that there. Uh, But also he uses a lot of the same people in his crew from his DP to Mm -hmm. his editor to his production designer. Yeah, he uses a lot of the same. He said said he's a very loyal, a very loyal guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... You know and he even mentioned that uh he took a cue from what he did with Brundle, who has multiple, multiple uh clothing items that are the same, oh, like Einstein. Einstein. Yeah, and he said he, ad- he, he adopted that for <laughs> mm-hmm. himself, so he seems kind of like a
0: creature of, of habit to, to a degree. So maybe recalling yeah. some of these things would come easy for him. The Blu ray itself, a lot of great features on there. You have the commentary. That was just that one commentary, right? That's the only one that I saw, yes, with that one commentary track. I was able to purchase this from the movie trading company for about five bucks. Well worth it. Um, the image quality is great. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about Blu rays is there's so much stuff that you can fit into it now, versus like DVDs back in the day. You had to have to do like two or three extra DVDs. But, you know, they had, what, how many documentaries was on this thing? I've seen two of them. I don't know if there was any more than that. Too. There's two documentaries. They're, they have the original. They have the original short story
1: by George uh, Langellen that originally uh, appeared in Playboy. They have the first draft of the remake script written by Charles Pogue. and then they have the current script that David Cronenberg uh, helped write. They've got two articles from magazines. No, three articles from magazines that did a write-up on the fly. Um, just And they've got got deleted scenes. They have a couple of extended scenes. They've got scripted out versions of those scenes. Um, They've got promotional material and trailers. And again, they have the the, the documentary. So there is a, a well, they've got a trivia game. They have uh, an enhanced mode where, as you're watching, these little fly icons will pop up. and You click on those, and that'll give you additional information that's different from the documentary. It's, it's it was all recorded at the same time, mm-hmm. but it's the additional tidbits. So, if you want to watch kind of just a just an extended version, if you will, of the film, you can do that. But it's just it's loaded with features. If you're a fan of Cronenberg, if you're a fan of this film. I can't recommend this this Blu-ray enough when I found it online a couple years back I said this is this is perfect this is exactly what I want out of my fly experience
0: so yeah definitely a recommended Blu-ray um, for your filmmakers out there there is plenty of gold to hear. and you know we can't dive too deep into like all the different documentaries but there's a few bullet points from the actual documentary on there one like you were saying just a minute ago was just like how i think that was his production designer carol spire carol spire and she just said like working with cronenberg it's like the calm after working on another movie so like another movie would be so hectic when she comes here it's like it's calm (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. calm and it's like working with family um, also, from the um, the documentary, it kind of speaks to how the head of studios were different at the time. Um, now, I think when the studio says something, th- their way goes no matter what. The head of the studio wasn't sold on Jeff Goldblum for for the main character, for the lead. Right. But he said, I think it's a mistake, but it's your mistake to make. He said, I think it's a colossal mistake. Oh, ooh, adjective. Colossal <laughs> mistake.
1: <laughs> but yes, it is uh-huh. your mistake to make. And they were, they wow. were impressed that they would trust them enough to, I mean, potentially fail because, I mean, that's a big deal. And
0: Fox was putting some money into this thing. Um, Another thing from the documentary that you find out is that uh, Jeff Goldblum and Gino were dating at the time that this was going on. And they were actually just, like, real passionate about making it work. You know, I'm sure, like, in their romance, they're passionate as well. And it just kind of, and them both being actors, like, that just kind of just spilling out over um, onto the screen. What was interesting about that in the commentary... Uh,
1: David Cronenberg mentions that that Gina is a she's she's a real good mimic, mm-hmm. and that and there's something about the way that Jeff Goldblum speaks that at times is, is is contagious, and sometimes people are around Jeff will sometimes begin to pick up his speech patterns, and her and Jeff were so tight that at times they'd be delivering lines and she'd deliver it like Jeff. And David, I'd say, no, no, wait, you're delivering it like Jeff. I need you to to, to deliver it like Veronica. She's like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. And she'd have to switch things up. And so they, they even tried to kind of separate them early on. So maybe if there were maybe some scenes that were separate for Jeff. Maybe they did those first, and then maybe slowly brought them back together. Mm-hmm. But those were some you know decisions and things that they had to 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 work through for mm-hmm. the sake of the of the film. And even uh, the other gentleman uh, who's in the film. John Gets, who, man, I gotta give him props on his performance. The, the more times I watch this, the more I appreciate his performance mm-hmm. uh, because he is so unlikable, like <laughs> douche. <doosh. laughs> but that's man, that's just, that's how he's playing up that character. He said he, he, he mentioned that Goldblum seemed a little a little sometimes a little jealous at times uh, when seeing him like interact with, uh, with with Gina, which which I guess you know plays into uh, his character a little bit
0: yeah that was cool uh i think that was on the that was i can't remember which documentary that was because Mm -hmm. it was them that were sitting down on the couches with the black background they were talking about that jeff goldblum was just talking about how he would purposely come on set and like what's going what's going what's going on here i'm the alpha man here Mm -hmm. also in the documentary uh gina um she she speaks about how she doesn't like to spend too much time rehearsing yes i guess i can understand that in a way is that, number one, you got to know who you're dealing with. And if you're hiring professional actors, you know, just let them do their thing. You know, find out how they work and let them do their thing. Um, because I know on this one, they were saying that a lot of time was spent on the technical stuff because right. that that had to be right. And so because of that, you know, hey, let's not worry about, the, you know, let's not worry about rehearsing as much and come in, do your thing. But we got to get this shot right. <laughs> It seemed like a very technical set. Definitely. And, and, and having a, a
1: small amount of time to prepare. But then you get guys like Goblin who talked about just the amount of preparation he would do in, in looking into the character. Because, I mean, he was going to have to go through these, I mean, crazy changes uh, and add these different ticks in and, and kind of have a character whose mind was slowly unraveling, but yet still be able to articulate what was going on, which is what Cronenberg wanted, which is a nice departure from the original version of the film. But yeah, Gina is like kind of in the moment, and there there's some ad lib, uh, particularly the scene where they're sitting at the coffee shop and he's putting all that sugar in his coffee. Yeah, that's a funny scene. Yeah, I watched. I watched. There's a a, an extended scene Mm -hmm. where it shows. It, it, it kind of breaks up the, the screen and shows the actual frame of the shot and then shows the script dialogue oh, next yeah, to it. I saw that one. And then it gets to a point where the script dialogue is done dot, dot, dot. and the rest is all bloom. It's something he kind of wrote out the night before and, and shared it with David, David Greenland, and then boom, 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 and it's him just, it's just going off, which works perfect for the scene and someone who is becoming, you know, <laughs> hyperactive <laughs> like a freaking fly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah I, I, I'm i very curious sometimes to see how many takes you know once you know you come away from like Fincher films I'm curious how many takes you know does Cronenberg do or some right. of these different things which you know there are instances where they do have multiple shots maybe like five or six takes mm-hmm. uh, maybe the kind of vibe I get from
0: from Fincher but I mean from Cronenberg but the documentary is good if you're an actor actress out there, um, listen to how Goldblum, how he prepares for a character. Because being a professional actor, all the time that they spend before they come on set, Mm -hmm. as a director, you have to trust that they're gonna go through their process. Nothing's worse than having an actor come unprepared. It changes the whole dynamic of everything. Now you can't play, because now it's about memorizing something, or trying to get to this emotional state that you can't reach to. Now we can't play because you didn't bring your toys
1: and especially for, for Goldwyn because he would spend hours in the makeup chair yeah i mean oh man for him to look the way he looked i mean it's it was a, yeah a lot of time in that chair and then touch up in between takes and just you know being ready to be in the moment and creepy as all get out like he's he is terrifying man like he is creepy like the some of the looks that he gives especially towards the end when he's again when he's literally losing his mind like Mm -hmm. when he starts talking about insect politics and he's like what i'm saying is that i'll hurt you if you stay like okay i'm out i'm gone no problem I will not stay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can hear my footsteps. Right. <laughs> and see nothing but an open door. A credit to Cronenberg and his style and his directing style. The other people on his crew say that he's the kind of director that, he, you know, he'll tell you what he's going for and what his vision is, but then he's going to ask you, what do you need so I can make your job easier or make it more comfortable for you? And, of course, those that handle the, the makeup, uh, Chris Wallace, you said, okay, you know, look, we, for actor-wise, we'd want an actor that... Uh, Doesn't have you know you know a smaller nose. It doesn't have you know doesn't have big ears. You know that makes it easier to apply the makeup. And then David has to come back and say, "Okay, well, I'm looking at Jeff Goldblum, and I know that uh yeah he has pretty big ears and he's got a nose as well. You know that's the opposite of what you're looking for. But they knew from a performance standpoint what." what Jeff could bring to the table. And so they were, they, they compromised it. Okay. All right. We'll, 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 we'll deal. And obviously it, it worked out. This is my, this is my favorite Jeff Goldblum performance. Hands down. Even though I did
0: like him in Thor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. He's a lot of fun in that. He's a lot of fun in that sparkle fingers.
0: <laughs> so like going right into the commentary, i uh, kind of hitting back on what you're saying. like, you know, working with two actors that are dating, like, uh, usually that's a no-no. Like, anything can happen and they even speak about it on the documentary and in the commentary, like, that's usually not a good idea. Mm -hmm. They were able to make it happen because, man, anything can happen, like, halfway through that film, if there was just a bad break, that changed the emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, you would, you could, you would be able to tell if these people were, like, if they liked each other or not. It It would definitely show. But the thing that I did notice was they did have, like, before figuring out that they've been dating or whatever, they seem to have, like, a chemistry. Yes. And it makes sense. They were already dating. So it was like, it's almost like a shortcut uh, to it. You don't have to build up the romance as much because they already have a chemistry there. Definitely. And even
1: in making the decision, because, you know, Jeff was brought on the project first, and they they said they they went through quite a few actresses before they decided, you know, to bring Gina on. I mean, she does a bang-up job. Uh, her, her range of emotion she's got this, she, she has a, a real wonderful quality about her where she can exude confidence and she can you know go where she needs to go emotionally and be vulnerable. And she could be funny and they were kind of hesitant to bring her on because she had done a lot of things in relation to comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's got this the range and when you talk about, I mean, Jeff Goldblum was like 6'5", 6'6". And when you see her standing next to him, she's tall. She's six Davis. foot.
0: She's six foot. Dude. So she puts a, the the hills on. She's almost the same height. Yeah, and that works out Perfect. well. Yeah. yeah, in their in their pairing. I don't know
1: how tall uh, John uh, gets is, but uh, he must be. A, a, I'm assuming a decent height, unless they kind of change. Put that him on an the apple camera. box or something. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they they. They look good. They look good together. Like you said, that chemistry is is palpable in there. And I I, I appreciate the, the opening scene. Like they just like boom. Right they jump right in. It's the two of them right there at a um science kind of I don't know, convention, but a gallery right. or whatever. Yeah. It's just like zoom. Right into it. Those two didn't waste no
0: time. I was yeah.
1: At. No, they didn't they didn't waste any time. And again, it's a very efficient film, but
0: uh, but, yeah, it, their chemistry absolutely works. Like you were talking about mimicking and everything like that, It's um, you can kind of tell because, like, how he darts his eyes and she do the same thing sometimes when they're cutting back and forth. Like mm. he's looking, especially at the scene with the sugar, she's, like, looking, he's doing the same thing. Like, oh, okay, that's weird how, like, you can rub off on somebody else, especially, like, two actors, you know, like she's got his style now. Right, because you it's know, a flattery actually it's flattery.
1: Yeah, because in acting, is supposed to be give and take. But it's like people say, like when you're when you're really kind of engaged with somebody in the conversation, at times you may mimic their body language. Mm-hmm. Their arms fold, folded; you might fold your arms. Or they, or if they kind of go apart, you might say, "Oh yeah, that's right. Okay." <laughs> you know, you might. Yeah, yeah, and especially two people like that that might spend a lot of time together. Because even when he was preparing and, and sitting in the makeup chair, she would read to him. Uh, read stories to them to I
0: bet that they had a blast. they had to have a blast you know they young passionate love and they're just just having a good time getting paid to make believe yeah, absolutely man. another point the director was talking about is like um as he's directing you you become one with your actor. I didn't you know I didn't know that um, you start catching the rhythms and I can see that and this kind of goes throughout post. Mm-hmm. And he kind of mentioned that it um, kind of like a trickle down effect because usually he gains weight during while he's making a movie, like twenty pounds or so. Yeah, and Goldblum's working out, got to get swole because he's, you know, basically naked for a lot of the film or some of the some parts of the scenes that um, you know he wanted to buff up a little bit, you know, and it was needed uh, for what he was doing. Cronenberg started working out too, you know. You see, yeah. you know, you see him pushing weight, like okay, let me do it too. Going in his trailer, yeah, and lifting, lifting weights. So it has, like, an interesting trickle-down effect. That's cool. That would be interesting, then, if the, if that's true like that, you know, what about the actors with the bad habits, you know? How does that rub off, you know? Mm. That, would that be may make for just an irritable set, maybe, if,
1: mm-hmm. if that director is not experienced or poised enough to be able to deal with that kind of personality. It maybe depends on... Uh, what actors that director wants to rub off on them. Because mm. you're going to have more than one, so maybe there's certain ones, but if it's, the, if it's the lead actor, yeah, hopefully that director is strong enough to decide what they want to let permeate them. But yeah, that's a fascinating question, though.
0: Work where you're comfortable. You mentioned earlier about Cronenberg uh, shooting in Toronto. Let that be a tip for your filmmakers out there. Just don't always be in a rush to go to New York or California if you're not already there. Where you're from, I'm pretty sure, has some interesting things and you're already familiar with it. So use those surroundings and build your films around that and tell that unique story. And even finding people that you like, you enjoy
1: working with um, from a professional and personal standpoint. Uh, this is seems to be a hallmark for for Cronenberg and, and served him served him well. I don't know if he's still working with these people now or a few, but uh, he had a good run with this crew.
0: Cronenberg talks about uh, the motion-controlled shot. I know we talked about it on, what's the comic book movie? Uh, with Edgar Wright, directed by Edgar Wright. Scott Pilgrim Scott vs. The World. Yes, and they had a couple motion-controlled shots in there. And basically, that's a camera that you have to actually input into a computer the actual dolly shot there's a shot where the camera is pushing into the baboon inside the pod Mm -hmm. and you see gold boom um the camera goes past his face and then the of course the baboon like teleports he disappears normally this shot is it could be done simply all you do is just put the camera on a tripod it's stationary you know you cut put the put the baboon in there you know, effect shot then you move the baboon out of the shot. It's mm-hmm. a di- he disappears. But because the camera is tracking towards the baboon, humans, you know, you can't do the same exact movement every single time, so you have to input this into a computer. So this technology has been around for a while, but that's like a perfect shot to show you how um because now it's a little bit cheaper to do some of these uh, motion shots, uh, some of this motion dolly shots um, with um, some of the technology that's out there right now. And
1: Cronenberg mentioned at the time because it was not as streamlined that the actual tracks for the dolly were like almost like train tracks, like they were huge. Oh. Um, but of course, things
0: now have have simplified. Working with wildlife can be dangerous, so. <laughs> That baboon, like, I would have been afraid. I'm just keep it real. Like, (laughs)
1: because
0: I've seen too many, like, stories about, like, the the apes that escaped. I can't remember the name of the institute, but it was somewhere in California. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. Basically, these uh, animals have gotten too big to live in the homes of the people that own them. And so they would go to this location where these apes live at. And then every, you know, every year, like, hey, happy birthday or whatever. But some of those uh apes escape and basically dismembered uh the husband of this couple like ripped off his junk ripped his knees and arms out like with their bare hands just ripping this guy to shreds um also there's another case where a woman had had an ape in um as as a pet and um it was like a chimpanzee or something chimpanzee, like that chimpanzee i, I kind of i get to him tore for her hands
1: yeah, and, and her, and and her, and her face.
0: face like dude like Knowing this and then seeing that baboon, like how strong they are and then big old fangs. But anyhow, um, just as a director, I don't know if I would put my actors in that kind of situation. I don't know how I would do that. Uh, and, they, and they say with baboons, you cannot train them. No. Like you can't
1: train them. Some, uh, you know, chimpanzees, you can see them train to do tricks and that kind of stuff. But you said with baboons, you cannot train them. And they said that the baboon became quite infatuated with their script supervisor, mm-hmm. and would, um, uh, shall we say, <laughs> walk around um, at attention. Yes, uh, whenever there the script go. supervisor was around, she was a, sh- a shorter lady, kind of similar to his height. But Jeff Goldblum was able to show it would dominate uh, the the baboon, and so it saw him as a as an alpha male, mm-hmm. and it, it was subservient to him. So. Uh, that helped out, and that actually, we said he said David said he he don't know what he would have done if if the baboon didn't see that would have been problems. Jeff. Yeah, yeah He says that that. Would it been, would have been problems on major problems if that hadn't taken place. So. That's horrible.
0: So, so yeah, um, they had the trainer on there and basically saying, "I'm the alpha male." You know why he's training them, and it's real simple in that animal kingdom. It's hierarchy. It's this is what it is. Oh, you can beat me up. Okay, you win. You're, you're the mm-hmm. alpha man. You know what I'm saying. Like Caesar, you know, yeah, they're putting their palm out. Mm, mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would put anybody in that, in that situation. Well, know.
1: then he says he, that David Cronenberg took a picture with the baboon where it's like he's kissing the baboon or something like that. He said being fully aware that, you know, it might, you know, rip its face off. i like,
0: um, you no, know, Photoshop me in. Yeah. Thanks. Um, not that serious. Yeah. But I mean, that's one of those things that you just can't uh, duplicate. You know, seeing that baboon come out of that pod and land on gold blooms—like no special effects. Gonna the special effects are getting pretty good, but uh, there's just something about just real life that you just can't duplicate. Yeah. So practical effects—the practical effects on this film—a one and still hold up in my opinion. Little stuff like the the little fly on the fishing line that they would play, like the baboon is like. It's like introducing the fly to the movie, mm-hmm. and so they did that by, pl- you know, putting that on the baboon. He's like, like, frustrated, like trying to slap this fly.
1: And they said they use a special kind of fishing wire that doesn't mm-hmm. uh, reflect light or something to that effect. So you really can't. I mean, I, no. yeah, you don't you don't no. see it at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, I'm like, oh, that's that's brilliant. Because nowadays, all you got to do is go in After Effects and delete those lines real quick. Mm-hmm. But back then, 1986, no. We're getting it in camera because this is all practical
1: effects film. There is no digital.
0: It's there's a little bit the the, the electricity from the oh sure sure the pod We're still, uh, yes okay but this is a
1: mostly yeah mostly, practical yeah, effect sure. film oh man anyway, the ma- the makeup the makeup is just I mean I see why they won an Academy Award because yeah. it's 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 used in subtle ways from when he again from the moment he goes through that pod with the fly to the hairs beginning to show on his back yeah, that's gross to his face beginning to you think it's just breaking out from all the chocolate and sugar but it's really beginning to meta you know go through metamorphosis mm-hmm. um you know fingers beginning to you know meld together ears falling off teeth falling out Yuck. hair hair
0: you know, he's like this collecting the stuff. He's like putting it in his medicine cabinet. Yeah,
1: which I remember. I remember that there were, when I saw it as a kid, I remembered a lot of scenes. <laughs> I remember the the medicine cabinet. I'm like what the <laughs> heck? What this guy's got body? His own body parts and yeah. <laughs> but man, ah, it's just mm, amazing, amazing visual effects. I
0: like the original. Um, originally in the pod they had these this argon laser it was like blue and lit up uh, that would have been a cool nice effect that probably would have stood up a little bit longer but they were saying with the lasers that if somebody looked up it would have messed them up or something like that but mm. I don't know if you saw like the practical effect of the argon laser inside the pod and it was just like floating around and they were going to use that as like the transfer instead of the oh like kind of something coming in and kind of phasing you out or? it was, um, check it out but it's it's a blue laser, and it circles around them, and I don't know what it's doing, but it's just like circling around. It looks nice. It looks I cool. I saw, I saw
1: originally when I watched that mm-hmm. part of the documentary. I didn't watch that this time around, but I remember what you're talking about is familiar mm-hmm. uh, when I watched it before. I'll have to check it out again.
0: Yeah. It, looking at that one, that one would have held up more than the electricity pop, but like the little fake little branches of electricity. I'm like, ah. <laughs> 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 Just a flashing light is good enough. You ain't got to throw a little branch of electricity. But hey, they were solid in '86. Yeah, solid. <laughs> uh, I didn't know a lot of this movie was uh, was done on a set. Yeah, with it, Brundle's
1: apartment, studio apartment, laboratory. I mean, it feels like it's a like you're in a real studio apartment. Yeah, like, oh, that's a set.
0: They've done a great a great job. So there's a scene where Gina Davis she's walking in the hallway towards the camera and she's about to go inside of Jeff Goldblum's loft and the hallway's real but mm-hmm. as soon as she cuts in as soon as she opens the door it's now on a set but th- what they did is you can see behind the door that she's opening up and it's the hallway but they built another hallway to kind of match just so your brain doesn't even it doesn't even register
1: yeah they built if, just enough hallway yeah. kind of like somebody just coming in out of that into the place and speaking of you know, the scenes where we see him crawling on the ceiling. Yeah. The fact that they built a whole I mean room system a rotator with the camera that oh man, that just So yes that was amazing. That blew my soul. I was like, What
0: in the world? That it's a um so base is like a Ferris wheel. It's a cylinder. It's a Ferris wheel, and it's rotating. Then they got the camera stationary, some kind of way. He's got to adjust, so he has the the performance has to be right because I don't know if you noticed, like on the test footage when the other people were doing it, they were climb on the wall for a little bit, but they're kind of bracing for it to rotate to the next wall, mm-hmm. and you can tell. Go Boom pulled it off to where you can't you can't tell at all. No, and I don't. Again, who knows how many takes, how many times
1: had to practice? But True. yeah, it looks it looks just yeah, you cannot tell.
0: A better version of this. It's been upgraded is watching Inception, you know, you mm. you watch Inception and how they were actually not only is it rotating, but now <laughs> they're sliding down the cylinder while they're doing like martial arts and all this other stuff. So that's just taking it up a level. Another point is when you're operating the camera, sometimes you, you um, kind of lose focus of the performance and you will worry more about framing and things like that. And Cronenberg was kind of concerned about that because he was shooting a scene when he broke into the hospital to, mm-hmm. to save his girl. And uh, Cronenberg was actually operating the camera at the time, but he just kind of mentioned sometimes he doesn't like to operate his own camera um, for that reason.
1: Which makes sense. I mean, cause he does such a masterful job of just directing everything else. So with so much going on, it's makes sense to him to kind of stay focused on the big picture. So, I'd, I'd like to just touch on the, the just the story, mm-hmm. for, just briefly for a moment, because, you know, I, have you ever seen the original no. version of The Five?
0: No. I so, have, uh, uh, they show clips of it in the documentary. I was like, I've seen enough. I, it's really well done, right? It, I'm like, okay, I, I get the total gist of the
1: film. I don't feel like I go, I need to go mm-hmm. and watch it. Like they, they give you, like, just enough, the key scenes, some key dialogue. I'm like, oh, I'm good. 1956, right? It's like, when it was done. I don't don't know the date of the original. But I like how they took the original story and how they adapted the screenplay. I like the changes that they they made because the original Mm. is a scientist who is just genuinely curious about, I don't know, I guess teleportation and things of that nature. Um, And he's married with a Mm. wife. But then Cronenberg goes in and changes it where this is a scientist who lives alone by himself. He gets motion sickness riding in vehicles. And so part of the reasons which I never caught before. I this time I did catch I, I heard him say that even before Cronenberg mentioned the commentary. I actually caught the comment when I watched it watched it this time. I was like
0: Oh about oh, him being motion. Yeah. Yeah.
1: i was like, Okay, okay, that's part of his motivation. And the uh, fact I, that there's gonna be that discovery.
0: I heard him say that but I didn't but I didn't connect it with teleportation though. Mm. So
1: yeah, for me, I'm like, oh, that's why he's doing it, because so, because he doesn't even like to ride in, in vehicles. And then you've noticed the re- most of the rest of the film when they go places, they're walking. You know, mm-hmm. like he's usually walking wherever wherever he wherever he's going. Um, but also, I noticed that that he makes a comment. I think maybe once he decides to let her kind of film everything, he he mentions that everything's going to end with him teleporting from one pod to another, and that'll be the end of it all. I'm like, whoa! You kind of just prophesy how you're gonna die. You know? <laughs> but I that that's something that stood out this go round. Uh but again Cronenberg talking wow. about how he basically kind of boils this thing down to almost like a it's almost like a play. We were kinda of talking about this earlier. It almost is like a play. You have just three main characters between Seth, Veronica, and Stathis. <laughs> I'm sure you're a nice person. <laughs> Any other status out there? Yes, I'm sure you're very pleasant. But this Stathis is is a complex character. You yeah know, all these have all these characters have their their complexities about them. And I just I, I, I enjoy the way that Cronenberg fused together because at, at, at its heart, if you just wanted to make this film without the romance because it is a love story I mean yeah. you 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 feel that. And again, a part of that is is a is a, is a credit to to Gina Davis. Mm-hmm. in her compassion to me and there's that there's that scene where when she comes and sees him after he's called her 4 weeks later and it's like I've got I've gotten much worse you know I've been doing a lot of changes you were right yeah <laughs> and she shows up and he's his face is jacked he's his he's starting to lose his hair he's got gloves on he's using two canes to walk you and got he,
0: juice all of them from oh, throwing up my like. Man,
1: <laughs> and you know he's he 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 does the uh, he does the vomit thing yeah. and he's like, oh oh, oh, oh oh god that's gross you know just realizing how disgusting he's becoming yeah and, and the way he, it, that scene's done so well because it's just like as the audience people, you don't expect it <laughs> he's just like he gets a done he's like okay this guy's gonna pop a donut he just, <laughs>
0: he's
1: like oh, oh, oh god that's gross
0: <laughs> he didn't he didn't realize until he saw the reaction right. from Gina he's like hey. he's like
1: oh I've, I've just been doing this thing. <laughs> And and then his ear, yeah, his ear just like kinda of touched his it falls off. It's like oh oh God, my he my, my ear And he, I'm scared. And then, and this is said that were audiences, like that. they didn't realize how, how people would react to it like it would be a big deal, but yeah. when that happens and she goes in for the hug, she goes in and hugs him and the side of her face is on the same side where that ear fell off. Yeah. And they said, you know, audiences like just <laughs> lost it. They <laughs> lost their minds when that happened. All these comments like, ah, people were yelling. Some people were fainting when they saw that. That's funny. But at the same time, she was being true, man. To her, like that. That's also what solidifies, man. She loves this dude. Like, I mean, come on, real, real talk, listeners. Hey, everybody, <laughs> filmmaker, commentary, listeners. I mean, if you were in this new relationship, <laughs> new, new, and you know, you had kind of they kind of ghosted on you. And four weeks later, they get send you a text and say, I need to see you. I've been through some changes. <laughs> and you show up, and they've got no fingernails. Uh, and in mid-conversation, they lose an ear. And throwing up. Yeah, and they just <laughs> vomited on a donut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean.
0: It's over. It's uh, yeah, officially I'm over. Co- I'm a
1: compassionate dude, but I don't know if hugs are in order. I don't know if you're going to get a hug out of me in that, in that nah, instance. Nah, I ain't getting a hug. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you Contagious. <laughs> it's like is this Ebola what is going on with you <laughs> but all that in, in, in spite of making light of the situation it, that you could tell she she genuinely loves loves this dude and yeah just to the love story within all, the love triangle because I mean I, I I I got it is a love triangle at the end it really is and just some of the smart decisions they made as far as the scenes that they leave out really mm-hmm. Man, they, they they could have given given a very different feel to the end of the of the film. Um, there was talk of like a butterfly child kind of being what in 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 in, in, in Gina Davis's dreams, and there's some some footage okay. they shot for that. Um, but yeah, there's some different things. But what they found at the end is that once Seth a butterfly child, yeah, once once Seth or Brundlefly has his brains blown out, you know, kind of is assisted his assisted death that audience is just done. Like there's nothing else you can do after that. It's <laughs> yeah, just it's credits. It's yeah. A wrap. Just credits. This tragic love story. I, I mean about a mad scientist who falls in love, you know, experiments on himself and then has to kill himself at the end because the experiment went wrong, which are tenements of the original, but just with enough of a, of a, of a, of a budding growing love story to just kind of sucks you in. Um, have you ever seen the sequel, The Fly Two?
0: Yes. Yeah, that's with the kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute. Was yeah. that good? Was that pretty good? I can't remember if it was good or not. I remember
1: watching it, and I, and I remember thinking it was it was decent. It was different enough. I, I would need to watch it again because I was I was maybe like maybe ten mm-hmm. or so, I think, when I watched it. Maybe even in junior high when I when I watched
0: we, it. We might need to check that one out if has commentary.
1: Yeah, I kind of want to. I kind of wouldn't mind re, revisiting that. I just I remember he I remember he was super smart. Mm-hmm. And that you find out, I' um, don't give us spoilers. I'll just stop there. But yeah, yeah. I do want I do want to, I do I would like to revisit the the fly too, okay, yeah. see who, who directed it and all that good stuff. and um, yeah, that would, that would be interesting.
0: Also James uh, Cameron, he was the one who said that if no matter what story you do, make sure it's a love story. Mm. That's kind of he kind of holds true to that um, keeping that love story. No matter what genre it's wrapped in, just make sure that love story is there and without the love story in this film I think it'll just be just another gross horror film yeah I mean without the drama without the drama and the love story there it's like it's it's nothing it'll just be another because,
1: yeah it'd be a be a, a gross a really gross b movie yeah but you yeah you you feel for this couple
0: and 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 originally
1: again yeah you're rooting for uh Seth you really are rooting for him at the end you're like dude I don't You done lost it, man. Yeah. You trying to fuse yourself with your lady and your baby. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Just to kind of, I don't know, become pseudo human. You're still going to have fly in you. So you just (laughs) mess up everybody's life. You a mess. (laughs) You are a mess. Uh Oh, man.
0: So next time, do we want to see if the Fly 2 has commentary and is available? Hmm. Or do we want to dive right into Unbreakable? (laughs) Okay, let me do a quick, quick
1: check for the fly Two. see if there's commentary on that.
0: Was there, there was only two fly movies? Was there any more outside of that?
1: No, because the second one didn't, I'm I'm positive it didn't do that. Okay. Well, Hmm, it's actually, it's got a decent rating here.
0: The guy had like red hair, didn't he? The kid?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think he, I think
0: he actually did. Yeah, I like how they approached turning into a fly, how it maybe might happen in real life. Versus getting bit by a spider, now you have powers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You saying they gotta be? Why they gotta be negative
1: side effects? You know, (laughs) getting all hairy and that's like the worst insect too. To be yeah, nasty. I'll tell you one thing that stuck with me after the watching it and seeing like the whole vomit on stuff thing. It made me really not
0: want flies to land on my food. I'm like, no,
1: (laughs) no, don't you vomit on my food. (laughs) The, the, way,
0: the way that they rub their hands together when they oh. <laughs> as long as I don't see it. <laughs> oh man. But even like
1: the, the whole use of the computer to like reveal things, mm-hmm. like when he's first going through and kind of trying to figure out what's going on and is like, Okay, you know the Brundle is this, then you know, what happened to the fly? Did I absorb it? Nope. Jeans are spliced. You're like
0: what? You're screwed, dude. You are so screwed. Then, like when the computer can no longer recognize his voice, all the more hints to the to the change. But another another important thing uh, change that Cronenberg
1: made was was to be able to um, have him keep his to be articulate throughout, because he contrasts that with the with the original one, where the guy gets the head of the fly so early on, (laughs) he can't talk anymore. Movie's over. He's just scribbling stuff on a board. Oh. Whereas Brundle is is documentary. So here's something that I, that what what something that made me think about this because throughout it, you know, it's kind of this documentary document things are being documented. Like what would this look like in 2018? Like a fly movie in 2018, especially now with with stuff that we're doing with genetics and DNA and oh, gene splicing. It's actually possible. Like I mean, how it would work. It's actually been done now. Yeah. So it makes me wonder how that would work. And then somebody documenting, mm-hmm. like, them, like, kind of transitioning, you know? Or they're on, you know, they have a channel or something. Uh, yeah, that that, that, so that crossed my mind. Like, man, what would a fly in 2018 look like?
0: That would be gross. That would be cool. Because they do that with our food anyway right now. Putting certain gen- genes into the food to make the skin repellent. So, the fly,
1: too, apparently is... Uh, Directed by Chris Wallace. He's the one who did the makeup effects on this one and won the uh, Oscar.
0: Oh. Well. Huh. There were some good effects in that film, uh, part two. What I do remember is him, like, busting through windows and jumping. There were some good uh, stunt effects. Man. Huh. Okay. Any special features? They've got the
1: commentary track. They've got a composer master class. There's a featurette. Oh, so yeah there's a couple things on on here
0: do we want to stay in fly world yes so that wraps up filmmaker commentary episode 27 we appreciate you tuning in to the to filmmaker commentary again rate us on iTunes you can pay attention to us on Stitcher uh, hit us up on facebook.com forward slash filmmaker commentary leave your comments um, if you have suggestions for films Uh, leave us a comment there and we will cover that film with whatever suggestion you have and with that peace out peace